Chapter Thirteen of *The Untempered Wind* by Joanna Wood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Pleasure is oft a visitant, but pain clings cruelly to us. Whoso encamps to take a fancied city of delight, oh, what a wretch is he! church was in that meant that all the respected and self-respecting people of jamestown had come forth morally and physically clothed in their best and bestowed themselves as comfortably as circumstances permitted in the wooden pews of jamestown's only church from the preacher's desk the congregation looked like a human theme with variations the original motif being a stolid expressionless mask of flesh unanimated immobile with rudely carven features and no decided tints upon this primitive scale nature had wrung every change her shackled hands could compass but between the highest note struck perhaps in ossiani abbey maria white whose face was inoffensive and the lowest personified by old anne lemon whose countenance was a mere mass of flesh there was but a short thought the men were sandy-haired meagre undersized or heavy florid dark with lack-lustre eyes and coarse lips it was a delightful autumnal day a day more provocative of tears than laughter more suggestive of retrospect than anticipation a day to dream old dreams feel old heartaches read old books tell old tales hear bygone singing recall lost voices a pure sweet day the air rarefied by the first touch of frost a day in short to remind one of the sweet the sad the strange in life but withal a day to perfect the tint on the apples mellow the juices of the late grapes and promising a fine spell of good weather for the fall ploughing as each male member of the congregation had said to each other male member that morning mother earth got but little rest at the hands of these eager seekers hardly had her bosom been shorn of its crop of a yellow grain before the keen ploughshares were again plunged into the soil and it was lacerated afresh and the man looked best content that morning behind whose plough there lay the greatest number of brown furrows for the fall ploughing was of great furtherance when the rush of the spring came on so the horses loosed from the lumbering reaping machine were yoked to the plough that most graceful of all farmers implements and strained at their collars as it turned the furrow sending its earthly fragrance to mingle with the fruity savour from the vineyards light mists prophetic of the later haze floated in shreds and wisps across the fields and gathered and lingered about the trunks of the trees in the woodland the birds were silent and daily v-shaped flights of ducks and wild geese passed over the village winging their way to the south service went on in the church to the staid and sedate measure of well understood and long established usage anne lemon was nodding off the intoxication of the night before in a pew well to the front Anne felt she needed to assert her religious feelings, lest there be some doubt of their existence. Behind her sat Mr. and Mrs. White, young Anne and Bing, 
the first three mentioned of the family looking as gloomy and downcast as their self-complacency permitted bing blinked wickedly in his corner making sly swoops at the sluggish flies and tearing them in bits when he captured any across the aisle clem humphreys flourished clem was one of those world-worn wrecks that are cast away and left stranded in nearly every small village the world over how they drift there no one knows whence they come no one cares why they stay they could not tell themselves fate rattles us all in her dice-box and we lie where we fall clem was by turns a fisherman mr muir's assistant a knife-grinder a peddler he had superior skill in making axe-handles and out of wire he could twist and twine the cunningest of traps he was acute and wise in his day and generation at heart a scoffing old vagabond yet he professed to be most religious and evidenced it in the same way as the people about him did by going to church with painful regularity where he sat a sore rock of offence to mrs deans for clem was fain to relieve the tedium of the service and aggravate mrs deans whom he hated by a succession of tricks that irritated her almost beyond endurance mrs deans sat immediately behind clem and pursed her already pursed-up mouth sniffed her already pinched-in nose and glared at him fiercely from her chronically inflamed eye but all to no effect he was full of offence and mrs deans had several times accused him in after-meeting of conduct misbecoming in a christian but clem had answered to the charge so volubly so diplomatically so humbly that the rest of the church members and particularly mr prue the minister to whom clem always ostentatiously removed his hat decided that mrs deans had a pick at clem and regretted a little that such a pious woman should stain her noble record by such complaints as she made against this humble follower he had an evil habit of setting his stout stick upright beside him in the pew balancing it with a skill all the boys of jamestown emulated in vain and then placing his hat upon it so that in full sight of the congregation it stood perilously balanced but never falling during the entire time of service a strange minister had once been sadly disconcerted by the sight of the immovable hat in that pew he could see nothing of what supported it and could hardly restrain his wrath at the irreverence of the dwarfish individual who sat covered in the lord's house animated by the thought he seized the sword of the spirit and began to fight against this evil one he dilated upon the perils of irreverence until the majority of his listeners dared hardly breathe he thundered forth the denunciation of the wicked and stubborn of heart until all the women wept led by ann lemon who by reason of excessive piety and much gin had no nerves left at all and who showed her emotion by a series of subdued howls he exhausted vituperation and himself and sat down 
a beaten man for the hat was unmoved whilst clem beside it was rolling up his eyes and trying to induce a tear an effort beyond even his art when the preacher discovered the true state of affairs which he did when he saw clem pick up the cane and its burden carry it to the door give it a jerk bending his head at the same time and so receive the hat at his own peculiar angle he felt as if all good was but a dream and a delusion clem every sunday produced a large and not over clean handkerchief tied in many intricate knots these he untied painfully and laboriously with teeth and fingers until he reached the last which when untied disclosed a copper cent which was his weekly contribution this performance he made an absolute torment to mrs deans but with the scent he made her life a burden he dropped it and scrambled around on his hands and knees for it he polished it on his trousers until it seemed as if he might wear the fabric through worst of all he put it on the back of the seat before him where mrs wilson's plump back must inevitably knock it off mrs wilson despite her many trials and the multitude of diseases she believed were concealed about her person was very stout and therefore subject to all the fatigues incident to bearing such a burden of flesh in spite of this however mrs wilson was animated by an eager desire to do her duty as became a mother in israel and by her deportment convey the impressive lesson of example to the less holy members of the flock with this end in view she strove to attain an upright and rigid position of an uncomfortable piety but the flesh is weak presumably the weakness increases in ratio to the flesh for before the first prayer was over mrs wilson was beginning to settle when the preacher announced his text she usually took a fresh grip of her failing resolution and assumed a ramrod-like pose but it was of short duration she gradually collapsed her shoulders drooped the back of the pew dented further and further into the broad black expanse that leaned against it clem's penny crept nearer and nearer the edge as the encroaching back advanced presently mrs wilson worn out in her efforts to listen to the sermon and fight against her own lassitude at one and the same time gave way and with a sigh leaned back restfully the penny flew off and clem whilst apparently gazing at the preacher so attentively as to be oblivious of all else reached forward and caught it adroitly to place it again in jeopardy and then again to lose sight of its peril this performance being repeated a half-dozen times during one service enraged mrs deans beyond expression one unlucky day she prodded clem in the back with a rigid forefinger and upon his turning round which she did with an exaggerated start that vibrated through the whole congregation she made a sharp gesture of withdrawal and gazing at the offending penny just then trembling on the edge left the rest to clem's understanding 
a perilous thing to do for clem chose to interpret the signal in quite a different way than she intended down mrs wilson's black merino back there strayed a long light brown hair to mrs dean's consternation clem reached gingerly forward took the hair and with the suddenness mrs dean's gesture had indicated withdrew his hand now the hair had merely strayed and was not lost from mrs wilson's knot hence the sharp jerk brought a smothered exclamation and a sudden start from her a start which sent the detestable copper spinning clem caught the coin dexterously with one hand whilst he turned to offer mrs dean's the hair with the other that worthy woman looked positively apoplectic and giving clem just one look turned her attention markedly to the preacher clem turned with a fine expression of bewildered disappointment upon his face replaced the hair on mrs wilson's shoulder and the coin on the ledge and lost himself in pious meditation this occurred some time before this autumn sunday but mrs deans had suffered in silence since then she was prone to leave church with her temper thoroughly on edge clem was surpassing himself that day he wore a long-tailed coat of the fashion of many years before and when he arrived which he did just as the first psalm was announced he deliberately stood up and pulling round first one coat-tail and then the other emptied them of a multitude of small articles tobacco pipes balls of twine lead sinkers little twists of wire a big jackknife stray nails and a varied assortment of bits of iron and buttons having put these all on the seat beside him he deposited himself with the air of a man who puts aside worldly things to listen to better hardly was he seated before he imagined the flies were troubling him he made several spasmodic slaps at his bald head and then drawing forth his handkerchief folded it carefully in four and laid it on the top of his head thus adorned he rose to sing knelt to pray and finally listened with reverential attention to the sermon few are thy days and full of woe o man of woman born thy doom is written dust thou art and shalt to dust return so they sang and the wailing air upborne by the harsh untrained voices reverberated from the bare walls of the church its jangling cadence pierced by one pure and bell-like voice for being white with the heart of a vulture had the voice of a lark one passing outside smiled half amusedly half sadly as he heard the singing and went on his way with the music following him in ever fainter notes forcing itself upon him on sunday myron holder had her only relaxation her grandmother preserving the prejudices of the little kentish village from which she had come detested all other religions save the episcopal her folks had all been strong for church and state and she scorned the idea of going to the methodist church or as she contemptuously said to chapel 
her vocabulary knew no more derisive epithet than a methody this in itself was enough to isolate the holders in the midst of a community that regarded episcopalians as being next door to out-and-out catholics and catholics as surely doomed as mrs holder did not go to church herself neither did she allow myron to go after the work for the day was done so she was free to lavish her heart on her child it was her custom whilst church was in and the streets empty to take the boy and go out into the fields or lanes with him severing herself from the house that had held such agony for her and from the woman whose stinging tongue kept her wound raw once with her boy alone in the air and sunshine she gave herself up to introspective soul-searchings upon one side she set herself and upon the other all things good in the great gulf between there hovered the shade of the man to whom she owed her misery in the abandonment of her self-abasement she did not place herself even upon his level whilst as for little my he shone amongst the holiest of those things to which it seemed to her she was herself in such direct opposition and contradiction the great marvel of her life was this child who owed its existence to her she looked at it with eyes of adoration touched it almost humbly as the madonna we are told of may have tended the christ child on her breast the child seemed to embody all the dead delight of her own girlhood to have absorbed all the peace all the calm all the gaiety she had lost there seemed no varying moods to cross its baby mind it was the embodiment of trusting love myron in the face of this miracle this perfect blossom which sunned itself in her eyes only and expanded beneath her tenderness was bewildered and amazed she began to ponder over the matter and presently to wonder if there was any phase of the entire situation that made her less blameless to ask herself in what way she could possibly obliterate shame from her record for his sake are your garments spotless are they white as snow are you washed in the blood of the lamb the words came to her as a personal and crushing query as the congregation energetically sang them little my clapped his hands and laughed delightedly the music pleased him so myron stood outside until the voices died away and the murmur of prayer succeeded then taking my up in her arms that they might make greater speed she went rapidly out of the village she turned to her left and going a short distance along the road lifted my over the fence into mr warner's grass meadow through the centre of this field ran a deep ditch to carry off the surface drainage in spring its course was marked by a thick growth of low-growing shrubs among which grew short stubby oaks whilst here and there great graceful elms sprang up in lofty columns crowned with drooping branches 
parasitic vines sucking the life-juice of the tree they adorned crept up these elms their delicate leaves already scarlet showed vividly against the gray bark of the trees and looked like thin streams of blood trickling down particularly this was the case where upon one of the elms the creeping vine had reached the point where a branch had been broken off by the wind the semblance was thus complete there was the wound there the blood and above the sighing leaves deplored the pain at the foot of this tree was a huge and brightly green mound which as myron approached seemed almost artificial so close were the leaves set so impenetrably were the tendrils woven together for this mound was formed of two oak trees over which completely hiding them grew a huge wild grape-vine forming a perfect canopy of dense green and more honest than the vine that sapped the elm-tree the grape-vine by its luxuriant growth and the vigor of its stem and branches seemed to proclaim its settled purpose to smother the trees that supported it if possible to this myron bent her footsteps pressing into the shrubs some distance below she won her way through them until she came to the foot of the elm-tree and entered the green tent formed by the grapevine between the trunks of the two scrubby oaks was a space of heavy green grass which springing up before the vine leaves had shut off the sun kept green and fresh in their shadow through all the heats of summer here she and her child sat down they were completely shielded from observation the grape garlands at their backs before them the masses of shrubs on the other side of the ditch myron took a biscuit from her pocket and gave it to the boy and then clasping her hands about her knees lost herself in dreams she had cast aside her sunbonnet and the light with difficulty piercing the shade shone upon her in pearly lights and gleams a colder radiance than shone elsewhere the soft characterless face of the young girl had been frozen into the enforced calm of passionless despair her face gave a strange impression as of features that would remain unchanged no matter how long time endured for their possessor as if the voice of pain and shame had bade her life stand still nor evidence its aging in her countenance no network of wrinkles no deep marks of care could have been half so sad as these youthful outlines veiled by such grief her eyes were heavy her mouth would have been bitter but that the patience of the face belied all bitterness save that of self-contempt underneath this mask of arrested life vivifying it with tragic meaning and rendering it inexpressibly sad burned an intense suppressed expectancy as of one who doth espy a hope beyond the shadow of a dream this lent her face the artistic value of motive and transformed what might without it have been but a sad-faced woman such as the world holds in countless thousands into a creature of tragic force myron pondered in the shadow whilst her child played at her side 
it was very still the child's soft breathing as he plucked at the soft grass was the only sound that broke the listening silence opposite her was a little maple tree a single leaf near the top was whirling round and round caught in some miniature tempest that left unmoved the leaves on either side in the midst of universal calm this lonely leaf was tossed and troubled singled out for unrest as myron holder had been set apart for pain but myron's thoughts were not upon the leaf albeit she saw it fluttering she was struggling against a futile wrath which welled up in her heart and at times nearly mastered reason a hot rage against herself him the village her cheeks flushed her hands involuntarily closed why had this lot been meted out to her in what was she different from these other women whose fault had been no less than hers why was continual bitterness her portion whilst they dwelt at ease simply because though tardily their children had been given a name she felt a bitter wish spring up within her breast that all those gibing at her were such as she that all those cruel women might feel the touch of shame that they might be brought low and taste the bitter bread that was her portion and drink the cup they held to her lips and then she sank into an evil dream in it she beheld herself sitting in the judgment seat of respectability and meeting out judgment to those who so lately had been her judges for in her dream he had returned and justified her she had risen and all the rest had fallen and as they toiled along the thorny path her feet had known she beheld herself pass by on the other side how she would withdraw from them her eyes grew cold how she would avert her head her lips were scornful how she would look them up and down with contemptuous condemnation and turn and whisper her verdict into willing ears that would bring the blood to their cheeks that would she paused arresting her thoughts with a sudden knowledge of their shame the cold eyes filled with tears the scornful lips drooped and trembled she realized the horrible wickedness of her own thoughts thoughts no hope she owned to herself and crying aloud i am wicked shameless she flung herself upon her face in the grass and wept out the bitterness of her soul the child crept to her side and strove to turn her face toward him she kept it hidden but stretched forth her arm and clasped his little form my frightened at the silence with which his overtures were met and at his mother's unusual attitude and shaken by her sobs began to cry myron roused herself and taking him in her arms held him to her breast rocking back and forth in the abandonment of her grief the motion soothed and reassured the already drowsy child and in a few moments he slept whilst his mother stilling her sobs that she might not disturb his slumber bent above him a face wrung by pain 
she mused over her late vision of retaliation with what cruelty had she hit upon the mode of showing her revenge alas the lesson had been well taught her for she had known the averted gaze the scornful lip the contemptuous regard she had simply chosen those means from which she herself had suffered most keenly there came back to her the memory of an early morning when standing in the doorway she had looked out into the dawn and had seen the horizontal sun heave his bright shoulders o'er the edge of the world and had vowed herself to the surface of others and to the atonement of her sin and hoped for an early death here under the cold rays of the autumnal sun and abased before the memory of her late musings she renewed those vows and scourged her soul with stripes of self-reproach when mai woke they went forth from their refuge across the fields up the street to the village the streets were empty a shambling figure in the distance bespeaking clem humphreys by the length of the coat-tails and the thinness of the legs was making toward the lake it was indeed clem going to indulge in a little surreptitious sport as an antidote to the sermon clem looked upon his church-going as one of his many professions like the making of wire snares and the digging of graves only he said to himself as he reflected upon the matter give me a grave to dig for choice homer wilson passed the church that day just as they were singing that lugubrious paraphrase he smiled a little to himself and went on saying very cheerful that very but they haven't any more idea of returning to dust than i have at least not for a while but it seemed he could not get beyond the echo of the singing the voices followed him far through the rarefied air there came to him little snatches of the gloomy words persistently forcing themselves upon him he quickened his pace and was soon beyond the farthest reaching note and yet it seemed to vibrate in his ears once clear of the village he struck across country the sorrel showed red the ragweed white between the short stalks of the yellow stubble here and there in the lanes and by the gateways were spots of bright green verdure looking unhealthily brilliant among those dull browns and yellows this was where the overripe grain falling to earth had sprung up to wither at the touch of the first frost homer frowned a little at this it bespoke careless management and the instinct of the farmer was strong in him but his brow speedily cleared for his thoughts were of far other things his walk was very silent the earth had indeed grown mute of song and all these resting fields were dumb no crisping cricket no whirring insect no singing bird nothing disturbed the serenity of the hour it seemed a hiatus in the processes of nature a suspension of all activity a breathless pause of ecstasy or pain like the instant before a first kiss or the moment before a final farewell 
Under these conditions, thought was easy, and Homer went on and on, his mind dwelling upon the one all-absorbing theme. Myron, Myron, he said once aloud, but his voice seemed at fret with the quietude, and he walked on swiftly to escape its cheerless echo. Presently he found himself entering the woodland, and knew he was a full ten miles from Jamestown. A straight course through the woodland brought him to the margin of the lake, which bayed in here in a sharp curve. Close to the margin lay great prostrate logs, whitened by wind and weather, till they looked like huge bleached bones. Beyond these were stones and a narrow strip of gravelly beach, broken here and there by boulders, against which the water lapped softly in a thousand ripples, wearing away the rock into tiny cells, and honeycombing them with gentle but resistless touches. Stretching out into the water, a succession of large stones showed their stubborn heads, leading by irregular steps out to where the last one, large enough to be a tiny rocky islet, showed two feet high above the encircling water. Homer made his way across these perilous stepping-stones until he reached the largest. Sitting down, he sank into a reverie so profound that he scarcely seemed to breathe. His face grew pale as he sat there minute after minute, the water lap-lapping among the rocks, the trees silent behind him, the sky mute above. Once he murmured a few words, paraphrased with no thought of irreverence, As a lamb before its shearer is dumb, so she opened not her mouth. His voice faltered in what might have been a sob, but was resolutely forced back. The sun began to fall behind the trees before Homer rose. As he did so, he cast a look at the rock upon which he had been resting. There, caught in a crevice, lay an old-fashioned bullet. He picked it up and looked at it lying in his palm. One could scarcely imagine it speeding through the air upon a hurtful mission— it had wandered on to find a victim, until, its impetus spent, it had fallen ingloriously to lie upon this rock, mocked by the sunlight which it had meant to darken forever for some living creature. Homer slipped it into his pocket and began to make his way shoreward, leaping lightly from stone to stone. As he sprang to land again, he said between his teeth, I'd like to hear any she-cat in the crowd open her lips to my wife. It will be seen his reverie had developed its subject. Homer held his way home happily, his eyes alight, his face aglow with his old generous spirit. He was once more the Homer of the past. Realizing this, he recognized the debt he owed Myron Holder, and paid homage to that strong soul whose mute endurance of ignominy and betrayal had shamed his own sleeping soul into life. It is plain to us that Myron Holder's shame was Homer Wilson's salvation. It is an ugly thought, but inevitable, that such instances may not be rare. 
but may not that virtue we hold too high and good for human nature's daily food may not even that be bought too dear what an ugly complexion it would put upon our intolerant attitude to those fallen ones if we dreamed for one moment that our immaculate virtue was preserved by their vice it would be hard to ask us to renounce heaven but if heaven for one meant hell for another it were at least well for us not to blow the fire but homer wilson was not thinking of any generalizations he was simply concerned with the debt he owed myron holder and how to pay it for and be it told with no thought of disparaging homer wilson he felt he would bestow an inestimable benefit upon myron holder by making her his wife he believed he would at one blow free her from the shackles of shame he never thought of the woman soul that strove to justify itself by rigid adherence to those vows that had seemed so sacred uttered as they were by lips that were almost divine to the listening heart they had betrayed it must be remembered that homer was nothing but a plain countryman it was therefore natural that he should look upon himself somewhat in the light of a deliverer when he considered himself in relation to myron and yet inarticulate but existent there was a hesitancy in his heart not born of self-conceit or paltry self-seeking but rooted in the knowledge of his own weakness in time of trial but he put aside all this and as he pushed on towards jamestown mused happily upon the happiness that was his for he loved myron holder poor homer whoso encamps to take a fancied city of delight oh what a wretch is he End of chapter thirteen